staying focused in a dystopia of distraction. Today, we're talking about deep work. I'm Chaz, he's Brit, and this is The Furious Curious. Deep work. It's all about the thoughts I think and why I think them. This is what focus is about. Deep work. There are the rare gems that fundamentally change the way you think, live, and work. As the world advances, three kinds of people will survive and prosper. Owners of capital or people with access to it. Those who can work with intelligent machines and technology. Superstars in their field of work. Deep work focuses on the third type. To become one, you need to develop two skills. The ability to quickly master hard things and the ability to produce at an elite level in terms of both quality and speed. Deep work is the concept that interlinks these two skills. So today, Chaz, we are discussing deep work. Can you tell us a little bit about deep work? Yeah, it is. Uh, It's a term coined by Cal Newport, who's an associate professor of computer science at Georgetown. And he defines it as such, professional activity performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that pushes Mm -hmm. your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new sorry, create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. Um, He's noteworthy for talking about deep work being the superpower of the 21st century. And he's gone on to describe it as such. The ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it has become increasingly valuable in our economy. Now, when you think about that, we are continually bombarded by a range of different distractions which, uh, you know, I guess jeopardize our ability to create meaningful output, um, Mm -hmm. which requires sustained concentration. Uh, So we thought there's probably no better time than now than to discuss it because it's it's really seeming to pop in the last several several years. Yeah, I think it's something I've struggled with, I think, over time, I guess, like more and more over time. I don't know if that's been your experience. I feel like there was a point in life where deep work was a little easier to get to and and stay in. I don't know if that's been your experience, Chaz, but like I feel like this is relevant now because it feels like, and I'm only speaking from my point of view, it feels like it's it's more of valuable because it's harder to get to these days. Do do you feel that way? Uh, without question, yeah. I also think there is uh, social pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be continually available. Like, like if you yeah, said, right. I'm going out for two hours to work on this, like I'm going to lock myself in the room, right. and you said, I'm not checking email or Slack, people would go, oh, wow, like, geez, this is a little cavalier. Right. If any type of productivity or you know, creative excellence book or you know, study will say, you need sustained concentration. You need yeah. to be able to focus, and it's only by doing so that you – are more likely to you know create something of value if right. you are constantly switching between tasks you're breaking you know the, the flow i mean there's that the the term uh flow coined by oh geez i'm really going to butcher this i believe he's czech his name is mahaley checker checker mahai he or i'm butchering it. i'll put it in the notes he's a well-known guy he coined the term flow he was a neuroscientist, I believe. Mm. Um, and he said, basically, like, flow is when you, you get in your groove of, um, you know, doing something of, of, you know, enjoyment where time disappears because you are essentially in, in the zone. You are, right. you know, right. c- cooking on all cylinders creatively. Yeah. Firing, rather. And our workplace today, and, you know, we'll talk about it in a little while, but the, the, uh, the open plan office is a huge culprit here. Yeah. You, really works against any opportunity to deep to do deep flow uh we have a skinner box that lives on in our pocket we're constantly bombarded with messages and pings and alerts on our desktop so to answer your question i absolutely feel like it's become harder and harder to achieve yeah i feel like a lot of it is because well one we have more distractions and two 
we have more distractions that are now kind of packed into this little box that we call a computer, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, there was a point in time and just, just even taking inventory of the past, I don't know, 20 years, my planner was, you know, my calendar was outside of my computer. My notes were outside of my computer. Emails finally, okay, we got email in our computer. Working on stuff on my computer didn't have all these things competing for my attention in this little box. And as we've become more digital and we've, we have, and if we've used now the, the, the computer to do more things, we've packed more into that. Our calendar is now in there. Our messaging is now in there. Our video conferencing is now in there, mm. you know, more and more and more. And I think it just, the more we pack into this little box, the more of those things become start to pull at each other. I guess that's been my experience. No, well, they totally do. And one of the things I think is also challenging to, to pour into that medley is the fact that we are constantly pulled, whether it is, you know, Facebook, whether it is personal email, right. whether it is browsing for shoes, yeah. <laughs> where, whether it is, you know what, I'm just going to watch this six-minute Casey Neistat YouTube video or a how-to how to video on how to clean my um, bathtub. You know, just like right, right. there is a never-ending well of distraction right. that exists yeah. within this box. And it's a quick way. It, it's a click away. And also, you're, we're confronted with that temptation nonstop as we're working on a document, you know, a professional right. document. So it's like it's, we can't even shut that off. I mean, a lot of people will say, yeah, if you're actually trying to get some work done, uh, you know, turn off the Wi-Fi so you are like kind of locked in. But, yeah. you know, that also you might need the Wi-Fi to do research as you're working on right. something. So right. it's just there's no perfect solve. But I do think people, you know, Cal Newport called it the the superpower of the 21st century. Now, yeah. that that is meaningful. It's like in an age where everyone is perpetually distracted, if you can shut that out and focus on things that matter, creating things of value, it could be a business plan, it could be a creative idea, it could be you know any type of action that you can take that requires concentration and focus, you are going to be putting yourself in a better place in, in the workforce than you were in this perpetual state of distraction. So yeah. just on that, I think it's probably worth you know, in, in this doc we have here, just to stay focused well, on it. Well, I want to. I want to say really quick. I think oh, sure. one last thing. I think the reason why it's so valuable now is I think what we're starting to see, and I've heard I've heard this expressed in different versions clinically, is that when we are deeply focused on something, and then we get a ping or we get some sort of distraction, and we're taken out of that kind of mental map, mm. sometimes it takes us up to like 15 minutes to get back to where we were before. Yep. So a quick ping actually has a 15 minute up to 15 minute cost. And you compound that over the course of a day. Oh, it's yeah. no wonder we think, oh, I haven't gotten anything done, but yet I've been doing all this stuff. Well, because every time you get back into something, you're pulled out of it and it takes you a couple minutes or more to get back into where you were. So you end up doing two hours of work over the course of 10 hours for that for that particular reason which is why i think you know as we learn more about the human brain and how the the human brain has interfaced and reckoned with uh, our our daily lives uh digitally i think we're starting to see that there's that that hidden cost of shallow work there's there's actually a tremendous cost but it's hidden sometimes it, yeah it's a very good point and and a lot of shallow work is unavoidable and it is sort of sure. seen as part of our sort of job responsibilities this administerial stuff no matter who you are yeah. so that does um limit your ability to you know it takes away every, well, everything's opportunity cost right? right every minute you spend doing shallow work it robs you of an opportunity to do more deep work which is actually more valuable um i actually on the topic of that that the cost of those interruptions. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of this study. I believe it was 2016 at the University of Texas at Austin, but they can they conducted an experiment. Like it was essentially an IQ experiment on two groups. The first group was was um, allowed to have their phone on the desk face down. They weren't allowed to access it, but they had it, you know, in their physical within arm's reach mm -hmm. of when taking the test. The other group had to leave their phone in the other room while they took the test. Now, they found that the group that had the phone within arm's reach, even though they weren't allowed to use that to check for the answers, they, perform they performed far, far more poorly than the, than the other group with the group in the other room, with, with their phone in mm. the other room. Mm. The, the key finding of that study was that 
the phone acts as somewhat of a brain drain. It's not, uh, the, it's not the fact that you are interrupting yourself because that, you know, that in itself, as you mentioned, is a bad, you know, does weigh heavily on your ability to focus. Yeah. But the, the key takeaway was you're constantly anticipating, just by, by virtue of it being there, you're constantly anticipating, oh, am I getting an email? Am I getting a text? I wonder if someone is, um, you know, wanting to reach me, even though I'm not allowed to access it. So it's just, it's, you know, it's made me realize, wow, like, if you need to focus, your phone should be on the other side of the room. Stephen King has always said that, you know, b- back before cell phones, he's like, you want to get work done, no writer should have a phone in their room, you know? <laughs> and this was talking about the old rotary phone, right? Uh, Not yeah. to mention one that you can check all social media on. So <laughs> it's just one of those things. We, we've got to treat our focus as a commodity and we've got to be sort of somewhat fastidious around, around protecting that because otherwise yeah. we can just sort of, you know, we can be chasing our tail uh, under these rabbit holes of distraction all day long, but I digress. So, um, so examples of shallow work versus deep yeah. work, there's a, out of this uh, article from The Doist, which we're going to place in the uh, show notes. Yep. Examples of shallow, no- shallow work might be processing emails in your inbox, you know, responding to colleagues on team chat tools like Slack, making phone calls to arrange logistics, attending status me- update meetings. A lot of these things that, you know, we talked about it before, necessary evils of, of the workplace today, but also do detract from our ability to do, you know, highly focused uh, deep work. Mm-hmm. Examples of deep work here, they, they talked about drafting a launch plan for a new feature, like in the development world, uh, you know, programming. It could be uh, preparing for an upcoming keynote presentation yeah. that you have to give. It could be researching information around a specific problem. All these require independent, you know, creative thought. All of yeah. these require focus and synthesis, stuff that's a lot harder to do when people are pinging you on Slack and saying, oh, you know, how's it going? How's it, you know, what, what's going on? Sharing a meme. It's like, okay, well, this is all funny and it's enjoyable, but it's like, oh, geez, it's, it's robbed me from my ability to actually do sustainable, meaningful work. Uh, have you got any thoughts on, on the, that distinction, Brett? I totally see this distinction. I do think there are technological attempts to try to automate some of this shallow work. For example, yeah, I think one of the real vexing ones has been arranging logistics, right? Sure. Uh, cal- calendar, right? What time does work for you? I don't know. This works better. Oh, this. What about this time? Oh, that time doesn't work. You know, Calendly is yeah, an example of where they really try to automate some of this shallow work. So I, I really appreciate some of those efforts technologically to, to do that. I appreciated that. And I think there's other things, you know, the rise of uh, virtual assistants uh, also yep. um, to try to really uh, differentiate, uh, you know, some of this, some of this shallow work to deep work. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that shallow work is now there's, there's now a marketplace where you can delegate some of that mm. stuff. Uh, I don't know how well it works. Um, I'm, I've actually tried it. I'll just full disclosure. Uh, it's, the jury's still out on it, but you know there is this kind of rise in virtual assistants to help with some of this stuff as as our short, shallow work task list continues to pile up. It's a shared pain point for everybody, for a lot of people at least, and you're starting to see some some sort of solutions uh, around that. So I see that. I think it I think it substantiates why we're talking about it because it has made deep work even more valuable. But I but I do agree. You know I. It is just the, the examples of deep work. We have to protect that uh, that time and get better at doing it. And we'll talk more about how to do that. But uh, I totally agree. Yeah, just totally. on that, um, Expensify had a campaign that yeah, you know, you the, yeah. as the name suggests, that they. So now I've never used. Actually, I have used it once or twice, but they they had a whole campaign that was um, the the line was because you weren't born to do expenses. Oh, and yeah. and I thought that's it's so clever because it does tap into a universal insight of, you know, doing expenses are a necessary part of, you know, being in a modern workplace a lot of the time. But you won't find a single person who really enjoys or relishes the opportunity to do their expenses. Oh, no, totally. And if there is, you know, the ability to, I guess, take some of the friction out of that experience, then you're going to be a really welcomed brand. Now, I, there's not a paid endorsement at all. I may been maybe a couple of years i use expensify but i, I remember it was a pretty seamless experience because i've I, yeah I've, I've used some of these platforms and they are 
utterly abysmal and infuriating oh, yeah. and they make you want to tear your hair out and quit work and do a job that doesn't require any expenses but i digress i so, i i i, I second that expensify and i've used other products for with other jobs expensify by far is the most frictionless like you said it's just so easy and it just shows that if people give a crap about a product and want to do it well it can be done well here's another example chaz benefits yep that's a good one nobody likes well i'm not in hr so i'm just gonna say uh human resource stuff is complicated there's benefits right there's health health benefits there's 401ks there's scheduling there's time off you know zenefits is and this is not a paid endorsement either but Zenefits has done a really great job where a moron like me can see everything in basically a widget panel as I try to be an adult when I talk about you know 401ks and I talk about health insurance and the, the details of that kind of stuff that can make you tear your hair out to just find it, right? Mm, yep. uh, Zenefits presents this stuff in a very distilled, digestible way in real time. And so that's another, that's another example I think that is they've really provided value to people and saved, I think, a lot of workforces a lot of time instead of digging through a myriad of emails or or a myriad of different sites it's all just in one place and so i think benefits has done a great job of that i you know i have to second that because i i've worked i've left a place uh, left an employer that uses benefits, and the good news is, after you've left, you've still got your personal login. You can access pay stubs and other sort of you know four hundred one k details. So that really is great. You don't have to worry. Oh, where did I leave that password? Where's the URL? Right. Uh, who, who have I got to call? It's like no, I just log into Zenefit. That, that's it's amazing. So yeah. great, uh, great endorsement. Keep, um, up the, so, keep up the yeah, keep up the work, Zenefits. Yeah. People are in the t-shirts on Market Street. Too. Yeah, you, you had us. Uh, you had us at the widget panel. I'm not sure if that's the term that you use, but I think Brit just coined it. Uh. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? Like, and I think in our corporate jargon, we touched on yeah. this: the, the single source of truth. Uh, but like, it, it's such a corny, overused term. But when it, when it comes to you know difficult HR-related administerial endeavors. Zenefits really is the um, the gold standard, if you ask me, that in terms of providing that single source of truth. Um, so, do we want to touch on, like, I know we've sort of gone on a bit, but like, do yeah. we want to talk about the five reasons why, and let's then we'll okay, well, let's, let's jump into the five reasons why because we, we can go back on um, techniques for how this this website called the Doist they provide a very robust ser- you know series of recommendations for how one could foster more deep work in their own, you know, their own situation, no matter what, what it is, the yeah. different approaches they could take to that. But I want to talk about why, uh, the five reasons why we feel that deep work is, um, I guess, raising some eyebrows and people are paying attention. So the first reason why is, uh, I'm calling this the broken status quo. Now, if you think of the situation in the workplace and society today, is to put it quite mildly distraction-laden. Yeah. Uh, and writing in Fast Company, uh, there was a guy called Jeremy Redleaf. He wrote, spaces that don't have clear rules of engagement unknowingly create a culture of shallow work. Clearly stated expectations allow people to more readily regulate their nervous systems, leading to better focus and deeper concentration. Now, this was an article he, he talked about, you know, post-pandemic, what is the future of co-working spaces? He said, uh, yeah, like once people look at these very sexy instagrammable pictures oh doesn't that office look nice oh look at the free coffee look at all these you know charming perks but when you realize that it's a distraction dystopia you're like oh geez like do i really want to go and work there so the fact that we are all certainly you know in the, the modern tech world and, and you know, people who work in you know open, open floor plan office we are dealing with an, a highly imperfect situation that works against our ability to concentrate and do deep work. So the fact that, you know, the onus is on the indiv- individuals to create a, a, you know, circumstances that can foster yeah. deep work, I, I think is very important. Have you got any thoughts on that, Britt? Yeah, I mean, it's totally true that, and I know we've talked about open office plans and other pods before, but yeah, our current work environment, just to, just to echo, is designed to keep us busy doing shallow work and not necessarily productive. And I think there's a cultural component to that. There's a structural component to that, in my opinion. I think it's up to the individual. I've realized this the hard way. I think it's up to each of us to defend and to orchestrate our time 
to optimize for ourselves because I think that looks different for everybody. I think deep work looks different. The circumstances in which deep work can happen, I think, is different for everybody. But I I do know that like you know there's certain things we can try to change. You know our work environments and the, the culture, but I think it's really up to the individual personal personal thing story on that is like in the past at work where i couldn't you know that there wasn't that culture of like deep work um and we had an open office plan i had to go to a janitor's closet to get work done (laughs) i'm serious like i had to i found a janitor's closet and then once people found me at the janitor's closet it's like oh if you can't find brit he's in the janitor's closet then i had to go i had to find another hiding spot and email was the only tentacle they had to find me this is before slack Never, never mind the fact that I was followed into the bathroom by you know somebody that asked me a question. But anyway, uh, and then headphones. You know, I was like, okay, well that doesn't work anymore. Let me have tried headphones. Then I was like, well, you know, Britt always has his headphones on. What is he doing? Is he playing video games? No, I'm actually trying to get stuff done, guys, yep. people. But I think it's up to us to one set expectations. I think it's about expectations. I've learned as a husband, it's all about expectations. It's all about <laughs> setting expectations. But you know, saying and I've, I, this has helped been helpful for me is yes, when there is that status quo, right? Hey, hey, everybody, I'm going to be offline for two hours to just get some hard thinking done. And if you get people accustomed to doing that or yeah. to expecting that, I think it's okay. Part of it is individually, I have to let go. I think people, we all have to understand that busyness is not necessarily productivity and it is all about expectations. So I have found that's that's really helpful. I think it's too easy for us to just point, well, my work environment isn't isn't great, so therefore I can't get anything done. Oh, well, the culture is more begetting to shallow work and not deep work. I think it's all of us up to individually to to break that status quo in our own way to protect that deep work. Uh, I totally agree. And I think you touched on, it's a good segue into number two, which I'm calling true productivity. And it was a quote, uh, an old colleague said said it to me once. He said, you know, don't confuse movement with progress. Yes. And I think it's so true because there is a certain, there's no repercussions of going to work and acting in a mindless way. Like the right. the impression of quote unquote busyness, um, yeah. the the optics of that can look quite good, and like you know you can right. fool a lot of people by looking busy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're probably stifling your ability to you know create things of value if you're just running around like a chook with its head cut off. And I think the fact that oh here is this new I guess discipline or philosophy more than anything else here is how i actually can bring a degree of like heightened you know strategic thought now you know process know-how to my workplace and to be more choiceful around what i do and to be you know if i'm going to communicate with someone i'm not just going to be sort of mindless about it i'm going to be considered and focused about it i think that does make for a more productive output rather than just this sort of non-stop you know, running around, um, you know, mindlessness. It goes back to that cultural thing. As a culture, as a work culture, can we see through the busyness and really evaluate things based on productivity? You know, I've been in the past where if you were busy and miserable, you must be doing something right. You <laughs> might, yeah. Right? If you're if you're not there and you're having fun or you're just having fun, you must be doing something wrong. And I think it's just it's that it's that X and Y axis that is totally out of whack for a lot of places. Oh, if there's everybody's in their seat and they're getting there early and they're staying late and they look angry and they they have bags under their eyes, ah, we're getting stuff done. But actually, that's just not true. And I think hopefully as deep work becomes more and more, people are get, get more real with it and honest about it. As we head back to work at some point, you know, we're going to be confronted with some of these things even more and that we, we start to see actually, no, happiness and maybe not being there for 14 hours a day actually nets out as more productivity. You know? Yeah. I Look, I, I couldn't agree more. And that sort of, um, I want to 
jump into the next reason why uh, I've got it here for just well, I'll, your I'll, I'll say this, Chaz, before you move yeah. on. Yeah, hit me, hit I me. Think, I think I think what one thing I've realized, and that this is just for everybody, I think learning, and I this is kind of now I'm just tying one back to two here, but like identifying how you work best, whether that's the time of day or how it works, and then defending that I think is key because people have all sorts of ideas about how you're supposed to work right yeah. how you are supposed to get stuff done you know and maybe that's because that works for them or maybe that's just the way they think everybody's productive but that may not actually benefit you as an individual and that's really up to you to to identify okay that may work for a lot of people it doesn't work for me you know yep. it's not it may benefit all it may benefit all of you it doesn't benefit me and ultimately if it benefits me productiv- productivity wise it's going to benefit the the company or the agency or whatever wherever you work. So I think that's just a big that's just a big thing is like being able to defend that and you know we're going to have to start pushing against a little bit of that that cultural acceptance of of all the things we talked about. So yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's a nice segue into uh, I'm calling it, it was here it's number four, yeah. but you know, I'm talking about it as a third one just for your edification. Yeah. Um, I'm calling it intentionality. Uh, I think as a culture, we are becoming more mindful across the board. You know, we are questioning the old ways of doing things and looking to improve upon them. You know, and the more meaningful work than you can do, I think, is going to be, you know, you're, you're pushing a bigger, uh, bigger rock down the hill rather than a little pebble. You know, yeah. there's some there's some greater natural energy to doing sort of some high level sort of impactful thinking. And I think for the longest time that's been overlooked because of this idea of running around like a, you know, headless chook. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, you, you know, I mentioned before that there hasn't been that sort of thoughtfulness applied. Like I remember being in a place where it was just emails being bombarded nonstop. And I remember someone said to me, they said, the, the problem with email is that it creates the illusion that the recipient has actually read and absorbed the email. And it's like, well, I, well, I can't do that if I'm getting 15 emails an hour, right? Like that's going to, ru- you know, I'm straight away in reactionary mode. I'm not going to be able to sort of up-level my degree of thinking if I'm constantly bombarded and constantly interrupted by this stuff. So I think that's just a, an interesting way to think about it. The fact that we are becoming more intentional and we're scrutinizing if things are essential or if they're just another distraction that adds to the noise. Yeah, I mean, anybody who knows me or works with me knows that I I hate email and I hate Slack um, because I think honestly there's there's places for it, but I think it's just overused. And I think it's 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 an avoidance mechanism, and it it's an avoidance of responsibility and it's an avoidance of communicate of real communication. So it's like, oh well, I sent you an email about it. That's not that's not actually to me. That doesn't let you off the hook. Like I don't email you, Chaz, about something, and that automatically makes you responsible for something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think, I think there's an avoidance that I push against, and um, I feel that a lot. It's always better to just have a conversation. Now I am a talker, as everybody knows. So my my verbal communication, I'm more comfortable with that. So I I respect and understand other people maybe have a different way of doing that. But I do think those types of communications over email. And over Slack, a lot of that stuff could get done deeper and f- and faster just with a, a quick uh, conversation. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I just had a I had a thought on Slack that um, because actually Cal Newport himself wrote this article just this month oh. uh, because uh, Slack was acquired by Salesforce, and he and he said Slack is the right tool for the wrong oh, yeah for twenty eight bill I believe. Oh. Maybe twenty-seven. It's a it's a it's a chunk of change, yeah. But he talks about um, and, and the article is Slack is the right tool for the wrong way to work, and he talks oh. about yeah he talks about this level of um, accessibility and and interruption that it has ushered in. I would also add onto that the fact that it allows the person who is doing the slacking, the slacker, if you will, uh, it allows the slacker to be less thoughtful, like more mindless. Like you and I, you know, we work in the creative services. People can ping us on Slack 
and without really the half the the a fully baked thought in their head they might be having to make a decision but they are abdicating that responsibility instead of handing it off i mean they, they won't think of it in these informal these formal terms but i think oh i need to get brit to do something i'll just slack brit mm-hmm. and it's like right. well actually no before getting hold of brit maybe you should have gone no no what do i think needs to get done and and i'm not you know this is not calling anyone out specifically i'm just oh, saying no. it's it's the nature of um the fact that something like slack has lowered the barrier to communication even further than email so it, it creates a greater degree of mindlessness yeah and there's many good things about slack don't get me wrong I, I think it's on the whole it has been a net positive but it's also there's been some downside to slack sort of uh, being so pervasive in the in the workforce of today yeah i love slack i, I know i just said i don't like slack I love Slack when it's used for very specific reasons. And I think it actually is really powerful. I like it as a substitute for email because I actually really like how it's indexed by topic and projects. I yeah. think that's super powerful and it's super helpful for me. And the Instead collaboration of, piece in that sense, I, I think it's great oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. And being able to retrieve and keep track of conversations by project versus mm. being in just a, a stack heap of emails. Um, yeah. The amount of time in the past I used to try to, to try to find a document that was sent as an attachment deep somewhere else. You know, Slack is super powerful for that. And I think there's a very substantial value that it's brought to the workplace. And that I think like any technology, it can be overused and abused and, yeah. a, and a substitute for things that it shouldn't be substituting for. So this is not me having a go at Slack. I actually love Slack. I think it's super powerful and really, really, really smart. But I do think like in terms of the intentionality, Chaz, I think like going back to it's just it's a mental discipline. This is this is, you know, we can point fingers at Slack, we can point fingers at emails, we can point fingers at this. But I think it really comes down to our we're responsible for our own muscle that is our brain, right? And what we put in there, what we allow to have happened, how we how we use it. And I think deep work is a mental discipline and it's a practice. Like we should treat, I think with the fundamental value there is like you just you said earlier, we should treat our attention as a commodity. We should treat mm. it as valuable. We should treat it with respect. We should respect each other's attention. Yeah. You know? And I think when you have that fundamental value that I respect, I respect and value when you pay attention to something, um, when I'm asking you to pay attention to something um, and have a reverence, even a reverence for that. I think that's necessary. I think if that is, if we've cheapened that, we get into trouble. Um, Also, like an athlete, you know, I think we have to train our brain to do or retrain uh, in a lot of ways to, to, to do this deep work focus, which means, I think one of the things means re-tolerating, and, and this is, I think the doist mentioned this, I think, uh, I don't know if Cal mentions this, but tolerating boredom, you know, not yeah. resisting that, at, oh, this is a, I don't like this task. I got to get into it, but I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Hey, I can go do this really quick for five minutes or, Hey, I can go do that really quick. And just resisting, just uh, uh, training your brain to tolerate boredom again. Yeah. Um, I think is is like a key thing here that I've that I've that I've taken away uh, in in just my own experience. I think that's very savvy. I think you know, I mentioned before, we have a Skinner box that lives within our phone, uh, yeah. within our pocket, and we are like a you know moth to the flame of you know all the information in human history, whether it's a meme or a white paper or a video, is in our pocket, and we have to resist the urge to check it for that degree of titillation that we might yeah. experience so uh, i think it's a great point you know like the we talk about uh monks you know mon- like and we talk about henry Rollins attacking his career as he called it monastic devotion or monastic tenacity and yeah. i do think there is something to be said of a i'm not, so, I'm not saying go and live in a monastery but uh, uh, there is a degree of focus and calmness and and I guess serene peace of mind of people reveling in nothingness <laughs> in the boredom and that it's very tough to achieve in this day and age and I know we've talked about meditation at a later date and I think we'll get into that but I do think not having to constantly be chasing the next bright shiny object of um, you know just any form of entertainment and fulfillment that we get dopamine hit. 
dopamine hits a great a great <laughs> one to use. Yeah. So I've said it, uh, so we've got broken status quo, true productivity, uh, intentionality. I want to say number four is a career advancement piece of the five reasons why. Now yeah. I mentioned before that the Cal called deep work the superpower of the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, when you think, you know, we're skewed because we are creative services type people, but creating a meaningful artifact or, or rubric or an idea fr- framework or an output is, is, is a very effective way of working. It shows that you're being proactive. It shows that you're being thoughtful and addressing sort of the bigger picture of the issues that the organization you work at mm-hmm. faces, whether it's, you know, you work at a, at a corporation or you work for yourself. Um, this requires a level of focus and deep, deep work. It requires seeing the forest for the trees and, yeah. and sticking, you know, sticking your head above the tree line and saying, all right, what, what value can I add? A, a, an example they use is Bill Gates. He, mm. he, when he was at Microsoft, he would schedule, and, and this is actually discussed in that uh, Netflix documentary, Inside Bill's Brain. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. Would, he would go off and seek the solitude of a, a cottage he has up in, I think, in Lake Washington, somewhere in Washington, yeah. where he, he's, no one can distract him for two weeks, uh, where he just goes off and sort of thinks big picture. So, like, the, you know, high, high achievers of any field of endeavor have realized this, have realized that distractions are the enemy to, I guess, excellence and progress and, and in creativity. So, I think it's um, any type of career advancement that you are seeking, if you could bake in some deep work, uh, I think it will serve you well. I think it is the differentiator. I think it's essential. I think that, you know, and I think just to requote that ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable in our yeah. economy. So it's a key differentiator in, in, I think, in the next chapter or this chapter of, of, of work, of our work life, right? Like it's, an, it's essential to thrive in the next age of our economy to be able to do this because if you don't, you will be devoured by the thousand piranhas that are the thousand distractions. And and that's it. It sounds so uh, fatalist or so matter of fact about it, but um, to master this will serve you tremendously in your career. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I, I think it does require swimming against the current because. Yeah. Not you know we touched on it before. Not only is it is it tough to do, you will receive pushback. Yes. People say, "Hey, what do you mean? What do you mean you want to do this for a while?" Like, no, I need, right. I need, you know, I need response now. So, it's one of those things that is difficult. But if you can, if you can make it happen, it is is certainly worth your while. The cousin to this is deep thought, right? Sure. And I think what was really great about bill gates going and doing that and you know not all of us have a cabin we can go uh you know be but maybe it's going for a run and just not deciding not to listen to music or maybe it's meditating and allowing yourself some time to just think just think not not think like i know there's forms of meditation we've all done where if a thought comes to you, you acknowledge it and then you let it pass by and you go back to your breathing. That is, just, that is one form of meditation. But another is just allowing, allowing all these things that have bottled up, that are accumulating in your cerebral, in your subconscious, to bubble up, to reconcile them and to figure out what do I want to do next? What's important in my life? Some of these, some, some are very practical questions. Some are quite existential, but giving ourselves that that particular space to do that, I think that's one of the things that Bill Gates does, and not to mention a lot of Diet Coke. Do you remember that? <laughs> I just yeah. burned through Diet Coke. I wonder if he's uh, dialed that back because um, the 42nd president was also known for just, you know, chugging them like it was going out of style. I think he would have like, you know, 15 a day sort of thing. Bill Clinton? Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Um, I think I think Don Trump he drinks some cr- sort of cola. Yeah, you know he might be quite into diet coke as well. Seems I, like a I, diet kind of guy. Yeah, I think there was this perception for the lo- longest time. Look, I'm saying this. I'm well. I have a Coke Zero next to me, but yeah. uh, again, not an endorsement. Yeah. Um, I, I think people for the longest time thought, well, 
it is no calorie, so it's fine. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> the old aspartame is not great for the heart and a range of other things. So, uh, yeah. you know, that, that comes back to mindfulness <laughs> again. But um, I digress. But so I just want to include. What were you going to say? I said, nothing is free. It's just trade offs. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom ain't free, my friend. Yeah. Number five, uh, calling it creative yearning. Yeah. Now, just to get out of the minutiae of the day to day to create something impactful that one can be proud of. Um, and if you think of your finest moments in your career, doubtful that it was sitting in meetings, doubtful it was administerial type stuff. It's not what motivates people. And on the topic of motivation, Dan- Daniel Pink, who's a sort of a well-known sort of public intellectual and author sort of around, you know, I guess, pretty well-researched sociolo- sociological type books. Uh, he wrote a book called Drive, and he said there are three things that motivate people in the workplace. It's autonomy, it's mastery, and it's purpose. So yeah. autonomy, the ability to, you know, create something for yourself that you're proud of. Mastery, the ability to improve. And, yeah. and purpose to be sort of part of a larger cause where you feel like you're making a meaningful contribution. You're not yeah. working for an organization that's sort of ethically compromised. So I think these three things are key ingredients of any type of deep work. Like deep work makes all of these more, more impactful, more meaningful. Like if you're, do, if you're constantly doing things that you feel are not advancing your position or, or bringing, showcasing your best self and abilities at work, you're not going to love going to work every day. So right. I think it's um, that creative yearning, I'm calling it, I think is an absolute um, vital one. I think we all need to give ourselves a lot of compassion on, especially on the purpose thing. I think it's, I think many get very frustrated that like, why am I not more motivated at work? Well, honestly, like, you know, over time, I think, and I, sp- I think especially as you get older, and I think maybe this varies from generation to generation. I do feel like Gen Z is much more purpose driven uh, careers. I think millennials, maybe less so generations preceding that or before that are even maybe less so it's like you know you you do your job that's what you do to make money and then if you have hobbies outside of that that's 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 kind of how life works i think the younger generations are more about what can i do to make an impact what how does my job actually have a purpose and i think i was able to manufacture motivation for a very long time on based on other things right um ego awards recognition moxie whatever you want whatever and i think as i've gotten a little bit older and i've advanced in my career a little bit back to kind of career advancement in a certain way is that purpose at some point we have to figure out what our purpose is uh in in our in our work and that can be small and that can be day to day or that can be very aggregate and big but i do think especially the purpose thing i think the purpose thing you know, we all want to be good at our jobs, right? We all, we all, all want to have camaraderie and autonomy. But I think the purpose thing is that missing, like trifecta piece that I think is becoming much more uh, important for a lot of people. And I think deep work fits right into that. It's like when you, when you have something that you know matters and makes it, it is going to do something, it's easier to focus on it. I've, yeah. I've found that it, you have more drive, you know, back to da- Dan Pink's the title of that drive you have drive when there is a purpose behind it i don't know i'm not telling everybody to go read purpose driven life by rick warren but i think purpose really fuels all of us and i think that becomes even more so as we get as we advance in our career and as we get older that purpose really does matter and i think it's something we need to look out for if there is no purpose in your job whether that's interpersonal or or aggregate or big picture, it's something that we all need to think about. Like I, I continually being in advertising, always try to reframe, okay, how does this matter for a certain amount of people? How am I making an impact in a good way? And mm-hmm. always trying to find that thing and and then saying, Wow, I get to do this. I yeah. get to like help spread this message or i get to make somebody's job a little bit easier today versus you know making it more difficult but i think the purpose thing for me just personally i really latch on to is is the creative yearning i think that's a huge thing that i think we're all in various points of our career and then just as humans we desire to do stuff wake up every day to do something that matters right yeah and 
I totally agree with that. Uh, there's a book um, by Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, recently deceased, I believe, in 2020, who wrote, sorry, he gave, he wrote a book called The Element. He gave the most viewed TED Talk of all time, mm. which I believe is called uh, How Schools Kill Cre Creativity. But mm. basically, he talks about this idea of, um, you know, we're all wired differently, but, you know, schools are sort of oftentimes they, we, we regress to the mean just because, you know, we've got to, they, they're not bespoke a lot of the time. Like they, right. um, they serve the maximum amount of people. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. very sort of uh, macro focused, which is, right. you know, I, I get it. You know, people have got to be educated. Uh, society right. has to be. Right. But he talks about this idea of like, if you don't actually understand what, not only do you, it's not necessarily following your passion, it's like what you have a natural aptitude for. And they talk about if you, if you become, actually, Cal Newport talks about this in a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You, but you may not love trading stocks, but if you do become super knowledgeable about that, there is a good chance that competence will follow. And after competence, you will become passionate. So it's almost like, you know, you don't feel like going for a run, but when the, you do, you are more inspired, <laughs> you get more energy. So it's sort of chicken and egg scenario there. But I do think with this creative yearning, one of the things that uh, Ken Robinson pointed out was if you don't understand what you have a natural ability and aptitude for, you, you, you might go through life not truly knowing who you are. Yeah. You know, like if you just sort of ready to chuck the, the hard hat on and jump down a West Virginia coal mine, no disrespect, but a, a, some people that might not be their calling in life. You know, right. you might, you know, Steve Jobs, he could have very, you know, he took a trip to India. He could have very easily created Rajneesh Puram 2.0. <laughs> right, right. Not, not to speak. Yeah, sorry, I just watched Wild Wild, rewatched Wild Wild Country. But ah, yes. unless, you, unless you develop what you have a, a natural ability and aptitude for, you can go through life really not knowing yourself. So I think it's a, it's a great point that you bring up. And uh, I just want to recap the five reasons why. So yeah. Number one, broken status quo. Number two, true productivity not just the impression of productivity number four intention sorry number three intentionality number four career advancement and number five creative yearning and they are the five reasons why deep work seems to be popping in the second day of 2021 mm -hmm. the second day of 2021 it's still hard to believe i know <laughs> have you got um for the sonic embodiment my friend have you got any uh any thoughts yeah. So, you know, I think songs would be weird to, to shoehorn in here. You know, I thought about it this in a different way. Um, there's an app that I've used called Brainwave 35 Binaural Programs. Mm. Uh, and it actually just is, um, it's kind of ambient, but it, it's, it's actual specific waves that can dial in deep work. And, and I found it really, really helpful, you know, I, and I love like, I love ambient music, so I'm just going to be partial there. I think what I'll do is, or what we'll do, Chaz, is we'll do a Furious Curious Deep Work soundtrack because I already basically have built that library over the course of 10 years of uh, using ambient music and different types of music to really, really help me with deep work. If, 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 if somebody wants a specific song, we've probably talked about this song before, but when I really, really need to get something done and it's critical, like Mission Impossible critical, um, mm -hmm. I use this, there's this particular song by Brian Eno called Neroli, and it's, it's based on uh, neurology, I think, but it's very, very, uh, it's just really, really effective. We'll do a we'll do a Furious Curious Deep Work soundtrack. You know, I know there are deep work sound or playlists, I should say, uh, on Spotify. You know, I don't necessarily like them. I think they're all kind of sad. A lot of like sad Russian music. It's like I don't know. It's there's something weird. Is sad. there any other kind? Yeah, right. So anyway, my 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 sonic embodiments would be this this app, this Brainwave 35 Bar Neural Programs. We're going to put together a, a really robust uh, library for everybody that will that will link in bio the Furious Curious Deep Work playlist, and then if we're looking for a specific song, uh, Brian Eno's Neroli. Do you have any, Chaz? 
Yeah, while we're on uh, Russian tracks, it's not technically Russian, but it's about a Russian person, Rasputin by Boney mm. M. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's a banger. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 where is Boney M from the Caribbean? Uh, do you know, know this? They're I great. I, lo- I love Boney M. But anyway, I digress. I have um, Rainy Mood oh, for yeah. my Sonic Embodiment, which is a, it's a, it's like a web app. Uh, it's just an a, app. Uh, sorry, what? Also an app. Yeah, it's all. Oh, I, I didn't know it was an app. And okay. and sorry, I'm jumping on your. You're right. Jumping on your parade here, your rainy mood parade. And you can play rainy mood in conjunction with music from your phone. You know, like a lot of a lot of like on the iPhone, it's like there's only one audio. It's like you can either play this or play that. You can't play two things at the same time in two different apps. Oh, rainy, yep, yep. rainy mood allows you to play rain. And you can also play music behind it. Not even oh, within wow. the app. You can, I can go to Spotify, play what I want, and they'll both play at the same time, which is quite, quite a nice cocktail. That is nice. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. I've, I've liked Rainy Mood for a while. For, for the longest time, I had, um, it was called like Pure Noise or I think it was called that. Mm. But they basically changed the model and I think they made you pay for it and whatever it was. So I just, I didn't love it that much. But I found this one called Rainy Mood, which is great because, you know, there's a natural cadence um, of a a thunderstorm. So it does Mm. recreate sort of ambient sounds at the same time. It's not overbearing, like it's not super distracting. It's somewhat calming because, you know, rain falling outside is quite therapeutic in many respects i've also used um you know sounds of rainforest these kinds of things before but rainy mood is my favorite just because it is loud enough to block out any sort of surrounding noise it's helped me to focus in many many respects over the years nothing like working your butt off trying to get a deadline and just the sound of some exotic bird (laughs) right it is quite good it really pushes you over that uh over the one yard line um so you know patron saints we didn't really have any patron saints this week oh i mean we kind of did you know cal newport he's obviously the 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 founding father of deep work he coined the term but we've talked about other people um you know monks of any Mm -hmm. variety monks who go off and say we block out all distractions and be really focused on whatever belief they are pursuing Mm -hmm. um another one like i don't know why like he's actually featured on cal newport's blog before woody allen like he you know he's a you know say what you want about his personal proclivities and yeah a lot of them can't be endorsed no question he's i don't say don't think he's a model of a human but at the same time he's known for this tremendous prolific output and i think it he has you know well been well known like he hardly sends emails he's very focused on getting stuff done he you know he's not on social media he doesn't read the news he's just very focused on what he does i would also say someone like eddie van halen who for the longest time like apparently he has no interest as well like he doesn't you know well r.i.p but he he just all he was all about the music he just all he did was sort of hone his craft all day long so anyone that can sort of be i guess a servant to their craft for me i think uh or even like you know r.i.p as well kobe bryant I think he was a um, well known about his tenacity and, and work ethic. So I, oh, I would yeah. say he's another guy that really changed the paradigm of um, bringing that level of focus and craft to a very specific endeavor. Have you got any other thoughts on that? Well, Eddie, Eddie, I heard never listen to other music. Yeah, I heard that as well. Kind of, kind of interesting. And then uh, David Lee Roth. I was listening. I was listening to. He was on the joe rogan experience like i don't know maybe last year two years ago that guy's a very interesting individual (laughs) Um, let's say the least a really really good three-hour conversation with i mean that guy's just on a different plane of consciousness but he, he actually got into a little bit about how he doesn't do email and all kind of his reasons for how he can stay focused it was pretty it was actually pretty interesting a very very you know say say what you want about his gallivants and in in you know his time and whether you think he's the best singer or not or in van halen you know regardless of all that stuff just as an individual a very interesting guy you know if you can if you can kind of stomach him um i would take (laughs) small doses but uh, it took me like a couple it took me like a week to get to the podcast because the guy just runs (laughs) on like 
jet fuel. Um, <laughs> really intense though. Anyway, that was, you know, I wouldn't call him a patron saint, but he's definitely related to, uh, you know, obviously he was in the band with Eddie Van Halen, but yeah, so that, that's all, that's all very interesting. I'm not surprised when you talk about Woody Allen, I think some of these people who have a high output have these practices that now seem quite bizarre mm. and, and isolationist, you know, in the modern context, he doesn't do, you know, doesn't do emails or doesn't answer phone calls, doesn't have a phone. Yeah. You know, but there, there's there's some truth to that. There and there's I think there's a there's a nugget of insight we can pull and say, oh, okay, well, these people remove all these distractions so they continue to can hone their craft in creating the things that they were, you know, born to do and born to make. So that makes sense. Yeah. Thinking like just some quick tips um that we've kind of gathered together um you know i think like some of the stuff that i saw and you know we'll link to the doist so i'm kind of referencing some of that here but um you know how to build work uh, build a deep work routine uh, i think is really really um an important one how to prioritize downtime um, I think is like another important one you know making focus a default mode adding the pressure of time Mm. Um, I always used to be like, well, if I get this done, if I get this done ahead of time, I'll, I'll have more time to do it. Actually, I have found that if you give yourself a little bit of pressure, this doesn't work for everybody, but it's like, oh, I got to get this done in this amount of time. It shifts your brain into a different gear. Yeah. Where you're just super focused. And I think making space for deep thinking, I think is another one. Um, we talked about that. I think eliminating digital distractions. I haven't mastered that one yet, Chaz. You know, maybe that's like taking some of like, you know, text messaging off my work computer, you know, what are the things that are interfering when I'm on my work computer that are inter that are taking me away from, from, from meaningful, deep work, um, choosing your digital tool set wisely. There's a lot of tools out there for that. Um, the doist has some uh, ideas on that. Stop using social media or resisting that temptation to, to just do that. Finding replacements for internet entertainment, I thought was really good. Mm. Um, so scheduling your day methodically is also really good. You know, limiting your workday, don't just have it run on forever. Uh, and then another one I thought was really good is, you know, getting, getting your advisor or your, your manager or your boss on board with deep work, getting on the, you know, talk to yeah. like what we talked about before, communicating this, don't just start doing it because people aren't going to understand it unless you communicate. This is what's valuable to me. And this is how I will be more valuable in my workplace. You know, I think getting over that, you know, making yourself accessible and letting it's okay to let people down. If people are frustrated by that, you kind of have to get over that. I'm a people pleaser. So I, that's hard for me. I want to be available for everybody. I want to do everything for everybody all the time, you know, getting over that and really unpacking. I think why sometimes a lot of us feel that way for me, it was like, I just wanted to be liked. Well, yeah. maybe I just need to, maybe there's a vanity there that I just need to unpack, not responding to every single email. I'm, I used to be much better at that than I am now. But anyway, and defining your outcome, you know, I could keep going, but I think, and then defending that time, you know, really fervently. And because recognizing that that's like super valuable, like your, your expertise focused really, really intently is super valuable to you and to everybody and, and it should be respected. So just some quick tips there. Like, like you said, Chaz, we'll, we'll, we'll link in the doist. There's a lot of rich resources there, but just a couple little tidbits that may help people, um, get started things that i've that i found helpful i think that's a great list and we'll also put some of those uh the the top tips on uh instagram if you want to check us out there yes all right everybody uh happy happy new year happy 2021 it's going to be a good one god willing uh but yes you are listening to the furious curious hosted and produced by me Britton rice and my esteemed colleague charlie cork uh, from San Francisco or at any other given point in the country or in the world. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and on Twitter at the FRSCRS. We welcome your comments, insults, constructive feedback and compliments on how we're looking that day, even though you can't see us. <laughs> how we're sounding that day. <laughs> you sound tired. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> until next time, stay curious. Out. Thank you.